0: money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success. Some people use it as the key to reach their goals. And some people use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it, and how to grow it. For years, women have been telling their beauty stories, their success stories, their health stories. Now, we want to talk to women about their money stories. Welcome to Tilly Money. Jo Masters is a Chief Economist at Ernst & Young, a self-described pundit and keen tennis player. As one of Australia's foremost economic commentators, Jo has been bringing insights and information to the Australian public for years. Now she lends Tilly Money her time to teach us what economics is all about. I genuinely believe that everyone needs to
1: find a little bit of time in their life to have their finger on the pulse of the broader economy. And the reason I say that is not because I'm an economist and I find it interesting, but because the truth is, as a business or as a household, when you are thinking about the future, what is likely to go right, and more importantly, what is likely to go wrong, more often than not will have its seed in a broad
0: macroeconomic trend. Today's episode is brought to you by our principal partner, Mortgage Choice. 2020 has been a challenging year, so Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers are on a mission to help Australians restart their 2020. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or investment property or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a Mortgage
1: Choice broker answer all your questions, show you what's available and do the legwork to help you restart 2020. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 137762 to speak to your local broker.
0: Joe, welcome to Tilly. Fantastic to be here. It's so good to be here, and we're keen to learn what economics is all about, and we'll get to that. But before we do that, I'd really like to know a little bit more about Joe Masters and what you're all about because we've um had quite a number of years where we've been dealing with you through through a variety of positions, largely around money and economics, um, through various banks. I think Macquarie Bank might have been the first one. And now, as I said in the intro, you're the Chief Economist at Ernst & Young. So we'll hear more about that later. But Joe, what I really want to ask you is, when you were growing up, where did you learn about money? Because at Tilly Money, we want people to learn about money and that will lead to financial independence. We believe, and financial independence gives you choices. So, what's your story in terms of money?
1: So, first of all, let me say I couldn't agree with you more, and I think the work you're doing is really important and really, really impactful. Thank you. Uh, we really need women to be engaged with the conversation and take ownership for financial independence mm-hmm. and all that that brings. Yes. For me personally, it, it came from two things. Um, the first one is I grew up with a stay-at-home mother, mm-hmm. which is pretty rare these days, yeah. I guess. Mm. Um, but even though my mum didn't work, she did all the money at home. Mm. So she paid the bills and mm. she you know, organised bank accounts. Well, her, bis- and
0: her business was really, or her job, was running the household business. Absolutely. Which was a job for stay-at-home mums mostly in those times.
1: I think that's exactly right. Mm. And, and we often hear that... Women will say, "I'm not very good with money," mm. but if you think, if I think back to my grandmother, yeah. she ran the household budget. Exactly. So women are actually quite good budgeters, yes. Yes. but think they're not very good with money. Yes. Uh, so I think that was really important. Mm. The other aspect is I'm an expat kid. I grew up in Hong Kong. So I grew up in arguably a very vibrant financial Mm. center Mm. surrounded by people who worked in finance. Mm. Uh, My dad actually didn't. Mm. But, you know, I was always sort of hearing, I guess, about Mm. stock markets and interest Mm. rates and investing. And you couldn't avoid it in Hong Kong. Absolutely Mm. not. Mm. And, and, And that was a seed that was planted very, very early and grew and grew and grew.
0: And where did you get um, how long were you in Hong Kong for? So my parents were there for about forty years. okay wow um, so mm. a long time. Yeah. Um,
1: i I went there when I was very little, mm. about two, and I went to a boarding school when mm. I was sixteen, but
0: kept going back as my parents were still there. And what was that experience like being raised in Hong Kong?
1: So I say to people, it's like living anywhere. there are mm. pros and cons, and it was very different city from mm where it is now. Mm. Uh, I grew up with a backyard that had monkeys in it. Um, (laughs) So that's pretty unique, I guess. Um, But I do think it embedded a love of um, multiculturalism, of being open-minded. I've always been around people from all different walks of life, some parts of the the world, uh, real global perspective. And I think that's pretty exciting.
0: Mm. Did you pick up the language?
1: Look, I learnt at school I'm very old so when I was at school we still did French and Spanish but I learnt a bit of getting around mm. Cantonese so I can bargain in a market yeah. and get
0: myself home in a taxi that's certainly more than I can do so I'm I'm think I'm pretty impressed but tell us now then so you came back to Australia you said you were at boarding school was that in Hong Kong itself or so no you I came bought back it back here I bought it in New Zealand, New My Zealand? a okay. kiwi. okay yeah mm. And you then ended up in Australia, in Sydney, when? Mm. I did. I did my
1: undergraduate degree in Auckland Mm -hmm. and as that came to an end and all my friends were getting jobs, Mm. I hadn't really found a job that really sung out to me Mm. and I didn't want to go back uh, to Hong Kong. I wanted to branch out from the family, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, so I didn't really know what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and an opportunity came up to start a master's uh, at Sydney University. Mm. So so Joe Masters started
0: a <laughs> master's. There. I did. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm the master of the masters mm-hmm. um, and I, I literally sort of rang my mum and dad in Hong Kong. I went hey I'm going to fly to Sydney next week. Um, can you help me out?
0: And I was very fortunate that they supported me uh, through that year. Yeah good, on mom, good old mum and dad. So where was that? So you were working at this time in Sydney? You were doing a master's and working or just purely studying?
1: or So I had been working through all of my long summer breaks mm-hmm. up in Hong Kong. Um, I actually did my first summer internship with Lehman Brothers uh, when it was around. And then I spent the next four summers while I was still studying working with a fund manager up in Hong Kong and um, really fortunate actually to work with an economist who was the father of the Hong Kong dollar peg. And uh, as you know, I I went on to do some work in FX. Mm. So that was really impactful. Mm. Uh, When I studied in Sydney, I just studied um, Mm. because I'd had those summer internships and saved some money.
0: Yeah, I understand. And for anyone that may not know, we try to decipher things here. Joe, you know, words like having your experience and your background when you said uh did some work in FX, that's really just um, a saying for foreign exchange. That's yeah. right, so, trading currency markets. So, and as you did your degrees, you know, you got your credentials behind you. Was economics at the forefront of those credentials? So when you did your undergraduate or your master's degree, were you clocking up units in economics or were there other areas? Tell us about that.
1: So... I often say to people I fell into economics in a sense, <laughs> yes. um, mm. and I have a daughter in year 12 who doesn't know what she wants to do, so I try to reassure her by telling her this all the time. Mm. Uh, look, I was really good at economics at school, mm. uh, and it seemed, um, you know, therefore a good thing to go and do. Mm. I actually also um, did a major in my undergrad degree in geography, and... Mm-hmm. Um, So I was really interested in uh, city planning uh, and uh, that sort of societal side of geography. And the two come together, I think, quite importantly. Uh, I did my master's in straight economics mm. and I was really keen to go and work for a bank and ideally mm. an investment bank. And as you said kindly in your introduction, I, I went to Macquarie Bank as mm. a graduate.
0: Okay. So you seem to have this passionate love of supply and demand. So <laughs> Indeed. and uh, Which is interesting. We'll get more onto that later. But where you've got the master's of economics and you were awarded the senior prize in economics at Auckland University, where you said you studied, what did that award mean to you? Do you know, it came as a bit of a
1: surprise, mm-hmm. um, but it gave me a moment of, hey, maybe I'm quite good at this. Mm. Uh, and I think it gave me a confidence booster mm. that was critical, actually, not immediately, but critical in the end in getting that job at Macquarie Bank.
0: Yeah. Awards are a great recognition. You know, it's uh, it is like that pat on that back and that, hey, girl, you know, you you're, um, you're being commended here so as you said I I'm, I realized I must be good at it that's fantastic so and I think what's nice is you mm. can come back to it oh, very in much. a few
1: years time and yeah. go you know when you have everyone has down moments yes. and um, moments of self-doubt and yes. there's nothing wrong with that it's very mm. normal mm. but it is nice in those moments to go back and go you know what I've got this
0: yeah yeah no they're good credentials to have and good accolades let's talk economics Joe I mentioned those two words that I guess are fundamental to economics you know the old law of supply and demand and prices and whatever but if you were going to explain if someone if someone said to you hey Joe, you just said you work in economics what's economics all about give us that in a nutshell if that's possible
1: so when I get asked that and I do quite a lot of work with students I actually like to frame it in the context of subjects that we all know about. Uh So we make history at school compulsory so that we try not to make the same mistakes of the past. We make geography compulsory at school Uh to understand the physical and the social world that we live in. Now, we don't make economics compulsory. Uh I personally think we should, but economics is the third element to that. And Uh that is, how do you set policy to change the social world that you live in Uh to build a better working world?
0: Because it's really all about behaviour of people in many ways. Economics, isn't it? They call it a, a social science, often called a, a dismal science. But <laughs> it brings in that people element, you know, to buying and consuming and government spending. And add more to my very simple definition, Joe. Help me out here. So it does.
1: Um, I think we're getting better at that, actually, as a as a um, profession we're evolving, uh, one of the biggest problems with economics is we assume that everyone is rational, mm-hmm. when in fact we know that no yeah. one is rational. No, 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 <laughs> um,
0: none, <so> Maybe except <laughs> you and me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now we talk about behavioural economics. But look, there's two sides to economics, right? We split it in two. We talk about microeconomics, which is the study of the individual person or the individual household or the individual business. Uh-huh. What do they... What do they need? Mm. What do they sell? Mm. Uh, So we work in order – well, we work because we have a skill. We get paid for that skill and that allows us to buy what we need
0: and want. Mm. And it's the same for a business. Mm. And then we have – So micro, you're zeroing in on, as you said, an individual firm, how an individual operates. The word micro in itself, you're talking about important but issues that concentrate on individual units as opposed to – to macro,
1: where mm-hmm. we put all the households together yep. and yep. we talk about the household sector yes. or we talk about mining investments. So that's not so much around what an individual household or company may be doing, but what that sector as a whole is doing. And that allows us to understand broad trends and shifts in the economy. And that is... and Well, both of them, in a sense, feed through into government policy. Mm-hmm. So what does the government need to do to have a vibrant, dynamic economy to me, I always say to people, it's actually about creating jobs, mm-hmm. right? Jobs yes. and an ability to support yourself and mm-hmm. those that you care for mm-hmm. is actually what drives humans. Mm-hmm. So economics is about ensuring that we have the big policy
0: settings to give you the best chance of doing that. Mm. It's funny, um, Joan, you may or may not have an answer to this, but I know that there aren't too many countries in the world who take budgeting on a national level as serious as Australia does because all around the world governments must have a budget just like you said your grandmother managed the budget or your mother or my mother or whatever but a government has to have a budget as well and that's really called fiscal policy part of economic or fiscal policy now Australia's tend to take that to an incredibly important realm you know, we have breakfast, you know, around, well, we, we hover around television sets on the second Tuesday, normally in May. I mean, that's it's been right. a different this year because of COVID, but that's kind of a date that normally is set in stone, 7 o'clock, 7.30, um, the treasurer comes out and reads it and then the opposition has a chance to reply. And journalists are writing down, you know, all the, the bits and pieces. Have you ever been to what's called a, um, a lockdown, um, a lock-up? I was lock-up? in the lock-up yep. just a few weeks ah, ago. there you go.
1: Um, I've done a few lock-ups now. It's yep. A- Pretty intense experience, yes, yeah. I would describe it as like sitting an HSC exam. Mm.
0: Do they still give you the books or is it all online now?
1: This year it was just all USB. Yeah, what okay. hasn't changed is you never get it done as much in the lock-up as you think.
0: Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. a huge amount. I've been in lockups myself and it's a huge volume of work to get through. I guess you would look at specific things though because who's going to read that amount of information, I mean, you're locked up about two o'clock in the afternoon? or So
1: normally you're in the lockup for five hours. This year it was two hours because of COVID regulations. So uh, we actually had quite a different strategy this year around how much is realistic to to get done in that Mm -hmm. lockup.
0: And of course, just forgetting for a moment, why are you in the lockup? Of course, you're the chief economist for EY. So naturally you're there to look at everything that's been handed down in the budget because you'd have a lot of writing to do, a lot of interviews to do post-budget, um, budget morning, et cetera, I would imagine.
1: Absolutely. And this year we actually had a lot pre-budget as well. So uh, as you said, people are really interested in the budget. I actually think that's a good thing mm, very for good Australians. Thing. Mm. You know, be engaged in the economy that you live in, the economy that's going to provide those job and income opportunities. Uh, So, yeah, I I spoke to the day after the budget. I mean, obviously, our clients um, who have a broad interest in what's happening in the economy more broadly, but also looking for policies that impact their particular industry or company. Um, but I at EY, we also uh, have a corporate purpose around building a better working world. Mm. So that means I'm very fortunate. Yes. I, I can talk to individuals and, yes. and look at particular cohorts as well. And there was a lot in this year's budget. I mean, it was historic uh, mm. in the extent of spending, in the amount of support the economy needs. And in a sense, there was something in there for everyone, right? Oh,
0: indeed, indeed. I mean, I suppose, you know, that everyone, people miss out, and you know, and we were... We were looking at the budget and perhaps there could have been more for women, perhaps there could have been more yes. this, but we are in an exceptional COVID year. It's funny as we talk about Australians and their love of budgets, there was a Prime Minister in Australia at the time, Treasurer, um, Paul Keating, and he had this great line because... Paul Keating had a way about him with his language that he was actually able to make the average person listen. He was an extremely funny, very witty, witty person, and still is, I imagine, but during the time um, when he was in government. And he used to talk about J-curves and, you know, fiscal policy and and you know change in the economy. And he had this great line, Joe, that said that every uh, galah in every pet shop will be talking microeconomic reform (laughs) and what he did for us largely was he put economics on the map and that's why people like you would have found an interest you know in it when you came to Australia why the everyday Australian is a a little more literate about economics and how important it is um, to our everyday living but let's take that down Um, to something else. And let's talk about your current role as Chief Economist at EY. Sure.
1: So I guess as uh, the Chief Economist, you know, I have a variety of aspects to my role. Uh, One is to uh, inform our clients around what's happening Um, with broad macroeconomic trends in the economy. Uh, We actually have over 100 economists, so we do do a lot Mm. of microeconomic work with individual companies. Mm. But I really sit around those um, big macroeconomic trends. And the reason that that's important, and I say this all the time, so I'm going to say it again, Mm. is I genuinely believe that everyone needs to find a little bit of time in their life to have their finger on the pulse of the broader economy. And the reason I say that is not because I'm an economist and I find it interesting, but because the truth is, as a business or as a household, when you are thinking about the future, what is likely to go right, and more importantly, what is likely to go wrong, more often than not will have its seed in a broad macroeconomic trend.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, COVID's a bit different because that was a health crisis that hit the economy. Mm-hmm. But other recessions typically are economic or financial imbalances Mm. that, you know, can't run any longer. So having your finger on the pulse is is really important. So I spend a lot of my time uh, talking to the media, Mm. um, talking at industry events, talking at um, EY functions about the broad economy economy. which is pretty cool because Mm. I love talking about the economy, I'm Mm. passionate about it, but also I get to talk to really interesting people Mm. Uh, and that feeds a lot of my own research interests, the questions that come up, you know, often reflect Mm. at the end of the week what's been the most common question this week or Mm. what's been the most surprising question. Mm. Um, As I said at EY, our purpose is building a better working world, so I also have a remit uh, to work towards that purpose, Mm. uh, which is also really fabulous because Mm. it's pretty broad-reaching. So we did um, some work, for example, uh, which I'm super proud of, last year, which asked the question, is buying a home the only way to build wealth for your Mm. future? Mm. Good question. So, you know that broad community, like broad question, and and actually mm-hmm. the reason that we did that piece of work is in the Sydney office, our um, average age is very young, mm-hmm. I think it's something around twenty seven, mm-hmm. and we wanted to do something for what are our people worried mm-hmm. about, But actually it turned out much of Australia of course is mm-hmm. is concerned
0: about that. Well particularly with house prices. Hi, oh, you know, you, you probably get a lot of young people that think that I'll never be able to afford that. What are the alternatives?
1: Mm. That's exactly right. So it fits into that sort of financial literacy piece, and I, I think it's really interesting. Corporate Australia, um, for some time now, has been focused on the physical and mental well-being of their staff, mm. but we also need to include the financial well-being of course. in
0: that. Mm. Yeah, well, that's what we're working on, Joe, with Tilly. Let's go back to your finger on the pulse, though, when you said that there are certain things that you think everybody should have an understanding of economics and keep their finger on the pulse. What would be roughly the minimum that you should understand about economics?
1: That's a great question. Uh, So I actually think if you're going to follow one economic indicator, Mm -hmm. if you're going to learn about Mm -hmm. one, Mm -hmm. for me it would actually be the unemployment rate. Uh, Now economists would say it lags. economic cycle so it's a reflection of Mm. how strong the economy was last quarter but it's something that we get every month Mm. and it's something that we all understand Mm. and as I said before everybody uh, you know relies on someone that has a job whether it's themselves Mm. or who's caring for them or relies on government assistance while they find a job. Mm. Uh, So jobs really resonate with Mm. people Uh, and basically when the unemployment rate's going up You know, the world that you are working in and living in is weakening. Mm -hmm. And when the unemployment rate is going down, the world is strengthening, and things like getting a pay rise are are more likely. So Mm. for me, that's a really important indicator.
0: This is going to be a guess, and I don't mean to put you in the hot seat, but we are living in a world of, as you said, a pandemic induced recession, and the unemployment rate if economists were predicting last year what the rate would be this year, I think that the figures would be there'd be considerable gap. Because, oh, everyone's yeah, numbers last everyone's year were numbers wrong, numbers but the safety crazy. in numbers. <laughs> yeah, of course there is. But we know that JobKeeper is going to end, maybe, um, in March next year. Do you project what the unemployment rate would be from where it is now to what it could be as we move through yet another stage of this recession? Sure. So...
1: I guess I'm going to start by saying forecasting is always has a bit of art and a bit of science. Uh, It's particularly difficult at the moment. Um, Partly the economy has moved really quickly under our feet, Mm -hmm. but also because this crisis is at its heart a health pandemic. So I often say, you tell me how you think the health side will play out Mm -hmm. in terms of vaccines and border closures and the like, and I'll tell you where the economy is. Uh, we've seen the unemployment rate rise from around 5 to 6.9% at the moment. Uh, we still think there is further upside to go. Um, now, where it peaks is difficult because actually someone on JobKeeper, for example, even if they're not working any hours at all, is counted as employed. So we've got a few definitional issues going on, but we are thinking a peak somewhere between 8 and 10%.
2: Um,
1: in the budget papers, the government had 8%. Now, to put that in perspective, at the start of this crisis, most forecasts for the peak in the unemployment rate was something like 15%. Mm-hmm. So the response we've had from the government have lowered those peak um, expectations from 15 to 10%. Mm.
0: Having said that, Joe, um, and this is possibly a micro issue and prob- probably a little out of left field, but many people... I guess because Australia's been in um, such a sweet spot for 29 years or whatever without a recession, living paycheck to paycheck could have been done, you know. Not necessarily recommended by anybody who understands about wealth building and the importance of it, but a lot of people did spend all that they earned because everything's good out there, you know, no sign even when there are recessions overseas, no sign here. So spending all that you earn... It's not too bad because I've still got a job. I still have a job. Is there any comment that you could make about the importance of understanding the cycles in an economy and therefore perhaps having structured finances because you can't always expect one cycle to be there forever?
1: Yeah, I, great question. Um, and as you said, we went about 29 years mm. without a recession, which means that You know, pretty much anyone under the age of 50 has not actually worked uh, Mm. through a recession. Look, COVID is just a great reminder that you can be hit by a completely unexpected Mm. event. Now, in economics and finance, we call it a black swan event. Mm. Very small probability, Mm. but effectively catastrophic Mm. uh, impact. So you can't live your life for the black swan event. But I think it's a reminder that you can be hit unexpectedly, uh, from shocks, um, and that also, I think the other thing that we saw in COVID is the hit to employment and income was really broad, right? Mm. So everything from you know a cafe worker through to dentists and neurosurgeons sure. who who, who could not, couldn't couldn't mm. operate uh, for a period there. Um, so I think having that long term planning is so critically important, mm. and. I guess for me, it's less perhaps about the cycle, although job security is critically important in people's mm. decisions making. We know that. But it's just about that retirement piece. Mm. And I I don't want to speak for everyone, but I imagine that most people would value having choice and independence in retirement.
0: Mm, very true. Now, again, I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh, why not, Jo? Um, there are schools of thought in economics. You know, you've got your monetary monetarists, and then you've got your Keynesian. Do you sit in either camp? So actually, uh, no, I don't
1: Mm. think I do. And, yeah, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, Why not? Uh, When I reflect on it... Uh, You know, many economists um, spend quite a a bit of time in their career, particularly in their early career, working in academia or in um, think tanks or uh, in the public sector. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little bit unique because I went straight into an investment bank. Mm -hmm. Um, So as a consequence of that, I have, you know, for me, economics has always been about helping businesses mm. um, so in that sense it's always for me been about the practical application mm. and that's that's the bit that gives me the buzz
2: mm. uh,
1: so as a consequence of that I like to remain as open-minded and flexible mm. in my thinking mm. as I can mm. uh, that's not always easy I mean you know I started my career when inflation targeting uh, was coming to the fore it's a policy that served us very well now for a couple of decades um, you know now we're talking about modern monetary theory, I I won't Mm. bore you with the technical details, but I'm having to try and uh, be really conscious about being open-minded and testing my own sort of, I guess, internal assumptions. And, Mm.
0: um, yeah, I think being open-minded is important. Could you simply explain to us what, uh, say, a Keynesian economist is? Because I think we've got a lot of Keynesian activity going on at the moment through the budget.
1: We Mm. absolutely do. So the Keynesian economists would argue that when you're hit with an economic recession, so mm-hmm. growth slows, uh, that government has a role to spend in the economy, mm-hmm. uh, to spend their way out of it. And then um, in stronger economic times, the theory goes that the government would then run a surplus. So mm-hmm. just like your household balance sheet means that you would spend less than you earn and, and then you pay back the debt
0: mm-hmm. from
1: that weak period. And
0: Joe, with just don't mean to be rude and interrupt, but why is it so important that governments spend... Because some people might say, are you just running up debt? You know, it's a debt that our children are going to inherit. What happens if you've got a really bad time in an economy and a government doesn't spend?
1: So we have had periods where we've seen that Mm -hmm. in the past. um, The Great Recession of the 30s is an example of that. Um, uh basically what happens is you end up with more of what economists call economic scarring. Mm. And by that, I mean businesses that never reopen their doors mm. and people who can never get back into the workforce. Mm. So if the government steps back and allows uh, the economy to really contract, to really crunch you lose what I kind of call the economic fabric. Mm. Um, so you lose businesses and even when the economic shock works its way through the system, mm. you then don't end up with enough businesses to employ people and mm. when people don't have jobs, they don't spend. Exactly. And exactly. You, you end up in cycle. this yeah, nasty, mm. nasty cycle. Um, I, I'd sort of describe it and, you know, we've been talking a lot about this this year, right? Mm. Like we, we're going to double our government yeah. debt and is that a burden on future mm. generations I've come to think of it a little bit differently. I mm. think it's a bet on the future of Australia. Mm. and I think it's a pretty good bet to be making mm. because our deep underlying fundamentals are still strong. Mm. and interest rates are really low, so mm. we can
0: this is debt we can low. afford. Mm. It's funny, you break up spending sometimes into what's one one type of spending, and I'd like you to explain this. It's called shovel ready yes. spending. Um, and I think the Gillard um, Rudd government in particular did a lot of shovel. Um, shovel already spending necessary spending. What's that about? That about?
1: Great. So, sh- so basically, if you need the government to step in and support the economy, mm. uh, they can- things
0: are bad. Is that is that what So when is? the economy yeah. is
1: weak, so when yeah. the private, mm. so when private households are not spending yep. and businesses are not investing, yep. like we see now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, the government needs to come in and spend and invest mm-hmm. to create demand in the economy. Mm. Um, which then filters through, it keeps businesses alive, which keeps people in jobs, uh, which helps the recovery. There's a few ways governments can do that. Uh, One is they can increase spending on the uh, goods and services that they supply to the community, health, education, police Mm. force, and the like. The other one government can do is what we call government investment. So they Mm. can invest in you know, roads and yep. new hospitals, and mm-hmm. obviously post GFC um, school halls, yep. for example.
0: For school halls, I imagine would have been relatively relatively quick to build. Relatively. So that's why it's shovel ready. So it's shovel ready. So get some going. of those. Yeah, yeah.
1: If you think mm. about it, if you want to suddenly build, you know, a big a big new road. Yep. That takes a time. long time, time to plan, yeah. uh, to get through the planning and regu- regulation process. So shovel ready are uh, government investments that are either um, already budgeted to go, yep. so the planning's already been done, they're just sort of waiting, yep. um, or they're small enough that the planning and, and regulation and design doesn't take as long. Sure. And the reason that you do that is threefold. One is you can get it into the economy really quickly. Yes, so yeah, provide we all jobs. know yep. COVID hit really, really quickly, yep. the economy fell off a cliff, mm-hmm. you just need government to get in there and spend. Mm. So it's quick. The second one is you can roll it out across regional Australia. It's mm. not just something that's centred in the cities. Mm. And the third one is is it employs a lot of people, mm. um, more people than
0: a really big new airport, for mm. example, because it tends to be quite manual. Sure, sure. And therefore, they have money in their hands. They can go into shops. They buy goods and services That gives someone else money and so you've got what I think is called the multiplier. That's exactly right and
1: uh, one of the things that the economics team at EY does is spend a lot of time looking at multipliers and the cost benefit of different kinds of projects Mm -hmm. uh, that are being considered.
0: Yeah, well we're going to talk about a lot of things, multipliers, accelerators, fiscal policy. Let's go on and on as we... Explain to people the importance of economics and the importance of understanding how an economy works because that is linked to our wealth, as you said. Is there any simple way you can explain that in terms of the impact of a difficult economy, problems in the economy and what might happen to the share market, for example, Joe? Sure. So
1: I guess if you think about it... Um A strong and vibrant economy is likely to have lots of new firms, uh, profitable firms, firms that are growing, uh, and that is attractive for investors. Mm. So it provides opportunity for domestic investors, Australians, uh, including superannuation, of Mm. course, but it also is attractive to global investors. Mm. And I think that's really important. We Mm. work, you know, we the world is so globalized now. Uh, we, we use this term capital as mobile, mm. which means that basically savings anywhere in the world can fly around the world and invest mm. anywhere, as can, a, can Australians. Um, so when you have a vibrant economy and a strong share market supported by vibrant, growing, profitable firms, mm. that tends to attract capital into Australia, which increases
0: demand for shares and tends to elevate uh, the share market. Yeah, So there's a relationship between what we call the real economy and then the share market economy
1: absolutely
0: and I guess we saw that in March when COVID really started to surface and you had shares like Webjet, Flight Centre, Corporate Travel, Qantas you know going just like bargain basement prices because it looked like the world was coming to an end and then it rebounds it when when the encouragement by government to spend helps the economy rebound as well because people get jobs and that cycle begins again. Is that correct or am I off? That's exactly right. Mm. And
1: um, you talked before about the economic cycle, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the economy is, goes through waves if Mm. you like, but as you know, so does the share market and those two cycles tend to be um, what we call highly correlated, which is when one's going up, the other one's probably going up too. And when, you know, one turns, uh, the other one tends to turn as well. So they are absolutely linked. They're also linked because we've talked quite a lot about fiscal policy today, Mm -hmm. so government spending to support the economy, but we also have... And taxing.
0: And taxing.
1: We also have monetary policy, of course, which is our central bank, the Reserve Mm -hmm. Bank of Australia, which sets uh, a cash rate, Mm -hmm. an interest rate, and that tends to define all interest rates in Mm. the economy. So when the economy is weak, uh, the central bank tends to cut interest rates um, which uh, impacts the share market. It, it changes the costs of a firm borrowing, mm. you know, makes it cheaper for them to borrow and invest, makes it cheaper for individuals to borrow and invest.
0: Mm. Well, a good example there that you've raised, Joe, is that interest rates are at an all-time low. And say for people who are retired, they often used to put their money into banks, fixed-term deposits, maybe getting 5%. I mean, mm. you don't hear that now. You're lucky if you get the 1%. Mm. In terms of what they need to do then is they have to look outside because macro policy has determined that interest rates are, and the economy has determined interest rates are right down there. So investors then have to say, well, I'm not getting any money from my, my term deposits. I'm going to have to go up the risk curve and maybe go into shares. Is that the kind of stuff that economists would see that correlation as well between what's happening in the real economy and what's happening in the share market? Uh, That
1: is exactly what happens. And it's a incredibly difficult and confronting environment for Mm. self-funded retirees. Mm. Uh, You know, um, as you said, very difficult to earn a a good return Mm. off the sort of safe places to put your money that you've always thought about. Mm. So as you said, you're being pushed up the risk curve. And sometimes that happens without uh, a genuine understanding of what that moving up the risk curve means. Mm. Now it means your investment's riskier. And then when COVID hit, you know, Mm. and we saw the share market fall very dramatically, Mm. that must have been, you know, incredibly confronting. Mm. Mm. Um, I mean it sort of comes back unfortunately to I I guess the comment that monetary policy is a very blunt tool. Mm. And by that I mean we set one cash rate for all of Australia. Yes. Every state, every person. So it's very, very blunt. Mm. Now, in Australia, unfortunately, for every one person that we have who's reliant on income from interest rates, we have two that are borrowing to to purchase their home. Mm. Um, So, you know, net, and maybe this is a good illustration of the difference between micro and macro economics, right? Micro would tell us that 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 rate cut is hurting that pensioner and hurting their ability to spend in the economy, But the macroeconomists would say, well, for every one pensioner, we've got two people who are borrowing and buying a new home and buying furniture and paying for conveyancing. Mm. So that actually gives more stimulus uh, to
0: the economy. Yeah, without a doubt. And this, again, I'm going to plug Tilly Money to the death, um, Joe. but this, again, is what we're trying to teach younger women in particular Mm. that build up your wealth. Yeah. You'll then have financial independence, you know, as you age but also in building up your wealth, learn to diversify. So you don't have, you do take a bit of risk with shares. You do enjoy mm-hmm. property. You might have some money in fixed interest. So I'm going to pull you into other questions of that. Not today, but at another time. Yeah. So we'll pick your brains in that area well, too. Being
1: diverse in your portfolio,
0: incredibly important. And many Australians are over in housing. Yeah, so much so. And the housing, it's great. I love property sure. too. But there's nothing better than being diversified. I think the old saying is um, not having all your eggs in one basket. That's it. That's oh, it, jo. quite right. So let's focus on Joe Masters again. And here you go, Joe. I'm going to ask you what has been your greatest personal investment. Now, Claire, my cohort in crime on these podcasts, um, who's actually doing some technical stuff for us today, but she says like. It doesn't have to be anything in particular. It doesn't have to be I bought shares or I bought a property. It can be any anything that made you simply endlessly happy. It got you more skills. It got you something that brought you to the job that you are today. It can be the dog that you bought. You know, we've had people say that, that just made you feel good and you got up every day and went and got your job because of that dog. There you go, Jo. Open sure. Slather. Big question. Um because I'm an economist, I'm, I'm going to take a bit of liberty
1: and have two, if that's all right. Sure, I'll keep them brief. It. Sure. Um, the first one may sound a bit clichéd. Um, I'm the mother of two teenage girls. Yep. So when you ask me what has been my biggest investment mm-hmm. in time, mm-hmm. in headspace, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the skills mm-hmm. that I have needed, mm-hmm. I was completely untrained yes. for the challenges mm-hmm. that came. We all are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a, so when I think about investment, that mm. is a big investment. Yes. Um for the most part, they also mm. bring me an enormous amount of joy. Of course they and I'm mm. not just proud of them, but mm. I actually think uh, they help to keep me a bit young and a bit relevant. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I have been known to do a couple of TikToks uh, <laughs> and I am on Snapchat. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, I, I actually love young. I love yeah. young Australians. I think yeah. they're just really fabulous and open-minded and lots of other things. Um, so they also give me a lot back in that yeah. sense. If I think about it kind of outside of the family, I think my biggest investment has been my network. Mm. Um, If I could talk to my younger self, Mm. I'd say invest, should have invested more. Mm. Um, And I think we often think about investing in our network up. You know, we often think about who's the senior person we can touch base with. Mm. But my peer network has been incredibly valuable mm-hmm. over my career. Mm-hmm. Um, Australia is quite a small market, so you often end up working uh, with your peer network, whether that's in the same company or as a client or you know whatever it might be. But also just as a sense check, as I've made um, bigger career choices, ones that I've been uncertain about, the people that have worked with me, that I trust their opinion, I think have provided a really different lens from perhaps, you know, family or friends that
0: I might talk to mm-hmm. about those career choices. So peer network. Well, that's, that makes such sense. There's, I can't say this in Greek, but I know that there's a Greek saying that if you want to see where you are in 5, 10, 15 years time, look at the people who are around you now. And yeah. that you can project your future from the company that you keep. So that's a really smart one. But in terms of your girls, your biggest investment, um, and you said if you could speak to your younger self, maybe you should have invested more. <laughs> tell your girls to come to Tilly Money. And oh, uh, I absolutely yeah. will. Yeah, because we'll make sure that they're, they're fine. Mind you, they've got an incredibly competent mum, so Tilly Money would just be oh. a bonus for them. But As you know, you never listen to your mum
1: yeah, well, un- un- the- until you're older <laughs> and then you realise how wise your mum is. <laughs> that's very true.
0: Now, we've got this great set of questions that Claire devised and it's kind of like our moment where... We put you to the test, Joe, and it's our lightning round. You can say whatever you want, but keep it snappy because awesome. I'm going to go really fast. I won't rest until... Economics is relatable. Hey, good one. Financial freedom is... Choice. Always invest in... Yourself. The future holds... Opportunity. What's most important is... Meaningful relationships. And the world needs more. Open-mindedness. Very true. Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I hope you return because together I think we can not only teach people about money, we can teach them about that very interconnected topic, economics, if you, as you have so so capably um, talked about today. Thanks for your time.
1: Well, thank you for having me and I would love to come back. Okay, we'll see you then. Great.
0: Your host this week was Maureen Jordan. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music. And see you next time. Thank you.